episode of the Business Exchange, How Business Works, brought to you by the American Business Council. And for me, this is very exciting because it's the first episode we're having this year. My name is Margaret Lele, and I'm your host as always. Today, we will be discussing a very interesting topic that's super close to my heart, and that's the topic around um, strengthening economic growth through social impact and exploring how, you know, this whole conversation around social impact uh, is, is, is helping to shape the evolution of societies and even economies in globally, but specifically in Nigeria. So, uh, you know, I'm told that social impact and um, economic growth are almost like um, uh, twins, you know, each one, each helping to to shape um, the other and you know creating a trajectory for mutual um, growth. So uh, while we know that economic growth you know kind of drives material advancement, we also are aware that social impact ensures equitable distribution and sustainable de development. So all the conversations around SDG, uh, SDGs are very critical in this in this in this conversation. Um, the Nigerian government, I know, um, you know. I've, Done quite a bit, has, has done quite a bit in the area of putting together, um, you know, policies around SDGs. The previous government, we had uh, private sector engagement, um, you know, working with um, uh, this kind of SDG um, type uh, projects and, and things. Um, but this is the first time that we're we're having um, some kind of uh, 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 an office. You know that kind of speaks to this this focused um, area in a way that hopefully, like we we shared. Um, now at this point, I still have not introduced my guest. I'm keeping you guys waiting um, and uh, in suspense. Um, but we we have an office that, if we continue with the trajectory around this, would be one of the best that you have in the continent. Um, and so. Recently, the, the, the government set up the National Philanthropic Office, uh, MPO, which is one of the initiatives tied towards um, securing alternative finances for SMS, SMS, MSMEs, or SMEs and MSMEs, and the critical economic initiatives through uh, private po uh, public collaboration. Now, the office is um, taxed with establishing 12 industrial value chain hubs and accelerators to support startups at all, at all. Now, um, and this office is tied to the um, office or is backed by the office of the uh, current vice president of the Federation, His Excellency Kashim Shatima. Um, and so I would not um, go further, but at this uh, point to this episode, I'm discussing with Mrs. Thelma Ekiyo Shiranke, who is the current pioneer? She's the first chairperson of the first ever Nigerian Office of the Philanthropy and Impact Investing, um, the MPO. Uh, just to, to say that uh, that Thelma and I go a, a, a long way back, in a sense, um, and especially during the, the when COVID hit the wall, we um, kind of worked on a couple of platforms to to see what can be done in the area of philanthropy. And, and, and so she's done quite a lot of great work. Um, just to mention that between 2021 and 2022, uh, the Women's um, Philanthropy Institute USA named her as one of the top 10 Black women working in the area of philanthropy and invest, impact investing globally. And she received the Black Women Give Back Global Honorary Global Award. She, she's she's also the co-founder chair of SME.ng and a free grant. So um, Thelma, I hope I can call you that, um, is yes, currently yes. completing a doctorate in entrepreneurship at um, Cranfield University. She's uh, she's a fellow at Stanford University, U US, and has a, a law degree and MBA from the University of uh, Buckingham, USA. I mean, UK and Imperial. I mean, I I can just go on, but I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> that. <laughs> well, again, Thelma, welcome to this 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 podcast, and it's a great pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Margaret. Uh, it's it's nice to be with you. Uh, yes, we do go way back. It's been a while. And, uh, you know, just well done on all the great work you've been doing with the American Business Council. Thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, when the, the, the 
where they announced, the, the government announced the setting up of the National uh, Philanthropy Office, the MPO, and I'll call it MPO moving forward. Um, um, a lot of people wondered, you know, why or what this is about. And when you get this against the backdrop of a lot of the other funny stories that have been happening over um, some ministries that were meant to, um, you know, support, you know, people in need. Um, people wondered, you know, about about why are we trying to raise 200 million? What's this whole office about? You know, so uh, I would like you to give us a sense of um, what this project is about, how you got here in the first place and what this project is about. I'm, I'm really thankful that you started with people's cynicism. Um, because <laughs> I think that it that makes it a really honest conversation. And uh, to say that, you know, for the longest time, I've also been a government cynic. My background is in international development and impact investing. So we felt like we were the ones doing the good work and the government was the one doing the bad work, right? Uh, <laughs> ac across Africa. You um, and them versus yes, them. <laughs> exactly. It was always that kind of them versus us mentality. And I've worked in 22 countries across the continent and I've seen the same problem. No matter how good you are as uh, a, either a private sector actor or uh, a non-profit actor, if the environment is not created by the government, your your efforts will eventually be, you know, thwarted or what will happen is, you know, you'll be, every time you'll find that you're just reinventing the wheel. And so uh, as maturity set in during the course of my career and, and, you know, doing different advisory work for multinationals and, uh, you know, like, and, and also work uh, advising the UN and things like that, the role of the government over time for me has been has not only become clarified as essential essential in the sense that the government has to be the uh, enabler for all of the work that's all of the work that uh if i can put in quote those of us who feel like we've built a career on doing good all of the work that we do the government has to create the enable environment for it to work and so um, when I was when I was asked to do this, um, it really seemed like, you know, my, my career had come full circle and it was almost like God was saying, put your money where your mouth is. You've complained too much. Now come and <laughs> come and see if you can actually make a difference, because by this time. I've been in this sector working in this space for almost 24 years. And so, and, and I, we've all been doing this work, as you know, Margaret, without really very much, you know, involving the government. It's like, look, let's just do what we can do. We are, we are professionals, we, we're equipped to do this. But I think if you do have an opportunity to uh, contribute in a way that allows you to practice what you've been doing for years, I think it's almost um, injurious for you to say no. Um, and because at this point in my life, as like you said, I'm completing a doctorate at Cranfield. I was very ready to just be quiet and be an academic for a few years uh, while I was reflecting on what next to do. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, I always feel like there are times when you, you know that something is a God moment and, you know, God is essentially telling you, you know, come and do something. Um, not that is that is quite unselfish in this sense, because um, it's at a time when Nigeria is also going through serious challenges. Right. If, there were, if this was at a time when the country had money, you know, there was a period. We all remember that period when there was just money everywhere. I mean, <laughs> people would look it's at it, this. It, it seemed like a century ago. <laughs> Exa exactly. Exactly. I mean, I wish I was doing this this uh, MPO when Naira was not a, a thousand <laughs> and something to the dollar, you know, but uh, this, I, I feel like those of us that uh, see ourselves as solution providers, this is the kind of time that you, you say, okay, let me practice what I know. And uh, knowing fully well that, you know, it's not going to be uh smelling of roses throughout and, mm -hmm. and, Knowing that you know the, the the philanthropic and the impact investments 
sector in Nigeria is very nascent. Even though there's been a lot of work, it's still very new. Uh, and and so that's that's what I so my my role just to clarify is to chair the office and the office has an implementing committee that uh, was inaugurated by the vice the His Excellency uh, the Vice President and so the the implementing con committee consists of um, Wema Bank Access Bank uh, a number of foundations that straddle both national and community uh, and bank of industry and the nigerian contact management board so you can see it is very much private sector driven but there's the involvement of government agencies financial institutions that support msmes and you know having worked in philanthropy and, and impact investing for so long one of the mistakes we made earlier on was to try and do everything. Everybody wants to be sector agnostic, but you just don't have the resources and the luxury to be sector agnostic. And so uh, the vice president's office, particularly the office of the senior special assistant for um, job creation and MSMEs, we sat together and said, rather than do everything, well, what are the sectors that are uh, spontaneous job creators and can really trigger you know, um, you know, a domino effect in addressing the unemployment issue. So we chose, um, or we selected um, fashion, furniture, sustainable agriculture, and renewable energy. And I always say that those are the starting sectors. Over time, hopefully by God's grace, we will be able to prove uh, the up. Because I have the hypothesis that if you target sectors and you put enough resources, there will be job creation. So hopefully we'll be able to prove this hypothesis and, you know, then other sectors can come on, come on board over time. Uh, and, and hopefully there'll be, a, a, you know, it can be institutionalized where I will be able to hand over to another chair. And then we have this um, framework in Nigeria where philanthropy and impact investing is working hand in hand with the government. I've said a lot, so let me stop here. I'm sure you have questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, um, some of the things you just shared uh, triggered certain certain questions in my mind. Um, so you obviously you have great experience working across the continent. Uh, 22 countries, obviously, um, is, is, a, is, 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 is a it's it's a big one, right? And um, the, the, have you seen even in Nigeria, we see that this is more of a nascent, something that's just burgeoning, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just, yeah. Uh, so the question is, do we have or do you know of any of this kind of office in any of the countries in the continent so far? Or are we just being the ones, as always, trying to, um, you know, um, hold the touch up on, on, on different, uh, in different areas, which is good? You know, I wish I could say no other country has done this. I wish I could tell you that, Margaret. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's it's very. I'm glad you asked that because whilst it's it's the first ever first ever philanthropy office, and you know one of the things that um, you said how people are talking. One of the things I've always heard is people say to me, "Why has it not been done before?" Like this is so kind of like a no brainer, right? Um, hmm. But actually, during the tenure of Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, there was a Liberian Philanthropy Office oh. opened. Yeah. Of, of Yes, of which I participated in a number of things. And a number of my partners uh, were, were instrumental in setting up that office. Um, so it's it's quite strange that, um, you know, Liberia, of, 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 you think that it will be South Africa, Kenya, uh, you know, Nigeria that would be leading in something like this. But, you know, President Sirleaf was very plugged on, plugged into the philanthropy space before she became president. She was obviously the chair of the Open Society. Uh, so she had, you know, a very first-hand experience of the, you know, the, the potential for philanthropy to, to bring about social change. Oh, that's that's great to know. You know, I love it when women, great women do great things. 
Yeah. Yes. So, so moving back to uh, the focus of today's uh, meeting as well, um, the the key um, issue uh, that kind of underlies the 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 topic we have today, which is uh, economic growth and social impact. Uh, can you? help share the correlation uh, between the two areas, uh, economic growth and social impact? So when we talk about economic growth um, macro level, of course, we're talking about a country's ability to produce and consume goods and services, which is measured by its GDP. And when you're talking about social impact, on the other hand, you're talking about the effects of um, those economic activities on society at large. And so you're looking at things like unemployment, poverty reduction, healthcare. Uh, and today, you know, one of the things that everyone is obviously concerned about, you mentioned the SDGs earlier on, economic uh, growth is pivotal in, in uh, realizing um, the SDGs and uh, sustainable development, especially when it's inclusive and when it intentionally addresses uh, social and environmental issues. One of the key points that people would say is, which one comes first? Do you invest in, um, you know, do you put all your resources in making a country more uh, economically successful? Or do you focus on social issues? I would say that it's, um, they, they're symbiotically related, right? You can't, you can't disengage them because if you don't invest in social issues, it will affect the economic well-being of the country, right? If you don't put a lot of attention. So obviously over time, I can remember those years when my father actually, let me tell you a funny story. My father said when I was growing up, my father was like, none of my children will study abroad. Like during university. <laughs> But well, interestingly, that was the, that was the mindset we had. Oh no, my I mean, we, my... we 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 the honest truth was that we felt that those who studied abroad were those who couldn't pass in Nigeria. Thank I mean, you. that's another story for another day. But yes, <laughs> yes, you know, and Olele, Olele, are you also Delta? So Delta, my dad was very <laughs> yes, he was very very nationalistic, right? He felt like mm. Nigeria was just the best, and he used to tell us, no, 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 you will visit the UK, you'll visit America, but you'll never study there. And I can remember him saying, you, I, and Ife, and in Suka, they're as good as Cambridge and Oxford. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Fast forward to my life today. Most of my education is, is, is international. And that just tells you what happens when you don't invest intentionally in a sector like education. Mm. Absolutely. You know? Jackpot has become a buzzword, but nobody, no, I promise you that if we take a survey of all of the people that have left growing up, they didn't say at a certain point, I will abandon Nigeria, right? But by necessity, everybody wanting to have a certain standard of living, people are doing as they're saying, well, it's better in other countries. And so that just shows you the importance of social investing in, you know, in social impact, because if you have qual a quality education sector, if you have, they, they, you are deliberately investing in healthcare, you know, but, uh, if you have a problem with your health today, you know, the, if you can't go to, if you can't travel, you maybe you're, you can do a test. Next thing, your family is telling you come for a second opinion abroad. Like what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. this is the re this is the reality of of what is happening. So when people say, yeah, well, you know, we we need to get the economy going. I'm like, yeah, while you're getting the economy going, very very important. These they have to be intentional investments in mm -hmm. you know things that promote social impact and especially also things that address the environmental challenges in our country. Absolutely. And plus the fact that, um, you know, uh, the National Bureau of Statistics, um, uh, at least that was, I think that was uh, sometime in May 2023, uh, said that um, SMEs, and I believe that MSMEs, ultimately some of them um, transition into, into that category, contribute about close to 50% of Nigeria's GDP. So this is one very important area that we need to look at and really being able to build sustainability around that space is something that is uh, no brainer, you know, for want of a better word. Um, yeah. So if, if I yeah. could just jump in there, because I think that's such an important point. I mean, aside from the creating 50 percent of Nigeria's GDP, they create between 80 and 90 percent of the jobs because 
and, and mm -hmm. I tell people, I say, you know what, fine, you know, I, I, I'm a researcher, so I like data, but even what I call, you know, pedestrian data, what I call mm -hmm. pedestrian data, if you go to your hairdressers today, she has hired how many people? right? If you go to the man doing suya by the roadside, he has hired how many people? I feel like those numbers never come in because there a lot of them are in the informal sector, but they are contributing to creating wealth and activity at the bottom of the, um, maybe not wealth, but livelihoods, supporting livelihoods at the bottom of the pyramid. And that's really important because right now, the formal unemployment in Nigeria is 6.3 million, formal. But mm. under, under unemployment, under unemployment is multiples of that. So people under employment means you find that somebody who's gone to school and done bothered to complete a degree decides that there's nothing to do. So they're a waiter in in a restaurant, you know, that's underemployment. And so we, whilst people are saying yes, but the employment rate, when they say only 6.3 million, I'm like, you know, that's a small African country. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's bigger than Liberia, which yeah, we just spoke absolutely. about. You know? So th these are the reasons why, you know, you and I, for us, we are the choir, you know, people, we are convinced about the importance of social impact. But for all the millions of people that we might, oh, I hope a lot, the, even if it's 10 people that listen to your podcast, you know, that we can convince that it's not, it's not a question of should we invest in social issues? We must absolutely, must, yeah. because we're losing the fabric of what makes Nigeria Nigeria right now. I tell you, I completely agree. And and you know, one of the things I I see in this area as well, even though we're 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 seeing um, the, the 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 space growing, it's new, but we're seeing some level of growth in in this area. Um, and we're seeing increasing social entrepreneurship. Uh, but we we know we have certain uh, systemic inequalities around gender, um, uh, you know, and, and, and the challenged, you know. So uh, what are the structural impediments and some of these systemic uh, inequalities that you think um, can help improve access to capital and resources for uh, this category of people that we just talked about and can we have or is the office able to um, trigger, advocate, pull people together to work on some kind of regulatory reforms that reforms that can uh, engender some level of inclusive investment practices uh, that would kind of uh, address these disparities. It's a long whiny question, but the long story short is how do we how do we get the the gender and the the women and the and the challenged into um, uh, into the space in 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 a, in a, in a more equitable way. Mm. So uh, you know this uh, um, you talked about SMENG, a company I co-founded. Uh, with Chapel Hill Denham. Chapel Hill Denham is one of the leading uh, private equity uh, firms in Nigeria. And um, in setting up that, that company, you know, our mission was to create uh, an investment platform that would, um, a gender lens investment platform that would, uh, you know, accelerate financing to women entrepreneurs. I still co-own that company with Chapel Hill, and I'm an, you know currently the chair. But I, I served as the uh, the managing director first, and you know what I saw through that experience. Even though I had obvious, I had worked with women, invested in women throughout my career, that first-hand experience to, did two things for me. One, there are so many, 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 many talented women-owned businesses in Nigeria. And, as, and, you know, when we talk about Nigeria, some people talk about, they're talking about Lagos a lot, you know, but I had the privilege of seeing entrepreneurs in across 11 countries through that work. And what I found, what I found that was really, really, for me, it was validating because I knew that we needed to invest in women, but also, you know, there was a lot of um, kind of like disappointment in the fact that the, the, the you, you talked about systemic issues. We still live in a country that is culture that culturally discriminates against women. There are still parts of Nigeria that a woman has to have her husband sign 
before she opens a bank account. There's still parts of Nigeria that, you know, women, you know, take permission, and I mean take permission to do anything outside of the home. And yes, while that might also, you know, you, uh, if people are comfortable with their traditions, that's fine. But when that comes into the business space, what you find is that people who have that cultural mentality, if they're in the banks, they discriminate a woman, uh, against a woman when it comes to loans. So it's not it's not uh, it's not an error that even though Nigeria, the global uh, the global entrepreneurship monitor reports that Nigeria has the highest number of women entrepreneurs than men across the world, but most of this most of these women operate in the informal sector, and most of them have businesses. So in entrepreneurship, there are two different types of entrepreneurs. There are necessity-driven entrepreneurs and opportunity-driven entrepreneurs. Necessity-driven entrepreneurs are people who start up a business because I need to feed my family. I can't die, you know. But opportunity-driven entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs that spot a problem and then decide that they will create a business to address that problem and commercialize the idea. Now, the type of entrepreneurs that leads to your question around economic growth are opportunity-driven entrepreneurs. But opportunity-driven entrepreneurs in Nigeria, they find it difficult to get started. They find it extremely difficult to get started. And so I was very pleased that the vice president, you know, agreed with, uh, you know, you know and, and, and approved the mandate for the Nigerian Philanthropy Office to focus on 50% of women across the startups that will be financed through the office. And for me, I felt like that was an important early win because it means that when I'm talking to the banks that will partner with us, when I'm talking, they have to know that how they select the entrepreneurs and how they do their credit analysis, my goal is 50%. It's already been announced, by, and I will use the vice president to say, you know, it has already been announced. You know? So it's it's something that we you can't just say women are discriminated against. You have to understand the layers of the discrimination and create solutions that attract those layers of discrimination. I always say that when you say a woman, right, and, and that's also a problem in, in how people address um, investing, we're not, we're not a homogeneous group, right? And you, if you're investing in, in a woman, you need to know what phase of her life she's in. A woman who is unmarried in our context, a woman who is divorced, a woman who is widowed, their financial needs will be different. And so you just, it's not enough. And a lot of banks are trying. They all have women products. But it's not enough to set up a product painted pink or painted purple and think that that's, that's going to address all the issues. You need to understand the nuances of working with women and how we address that. So you'll see as we roll out that, you know, aside from just saying 50% of women are going to benefit from for the activities of MPO with the office of the SSA on job creation and um and MSMEs will be on we'll be organizing consultations with with different groups of entrepreneurs to better understand particularly women entrepreneurs and one area that we're keen on is to understand the needs of women of women entrepreneurs in the area of renewable energy because it's it's a male dominated sector the the uh you know the barrier to to entry is very high for women um to play in that sector so we need to understand you know okay so if we're going to support startups in this area what are we going to do i think women have proven themselves in the fashion industry they've proven themselves in to some extent in the agribusiness industry a lot of there there are a lot of good innovative examples of women coming up with solutions opportunity driven entrepreneurs coming up with solutions in the furniture sector, but in the renewable energy space, it's lacking. And another hat I wore for four years, I was on the board of uh, Olon, which is a shell fund uh, mm -hmm. that was set up. Yes. So I was on the, I was on the inaugural board, um, you know, and, and we saw this, we saw this firsthand that even though we would put out calls for, for uh, female entrepreneurs to apply, and the, the funding was really good, we would really not get a lot of women. So it's a practical challenge. We have to look for how women are in leadership 
of investment companies. Uh, so uh, that was something that was very encouraging for the women I worked with because they could look at my company and see that, uh, okay, it's a woman. We have to make sure that women are on uh, investment committees. You know, we have to make sure that women are actually fund managers. You know, this idea that women can't handle a lot of money is in them. It's in the psyche. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, it's in the psyche of a lot of people that you'll see a man will go and pitch and easily people will write a check for him for 15 million. A woman will go and pitch with the same qualifications, same experience, and people are looking, okay, well, we can give you between one and five million. It's real. It's real. We can't lie about it. And so how we change that, when you're changing something that is subconscious, it takes a lot longer. Um, part of why you have what part of the ways of changing that is visible representation is actual seeing women doing these things and doing them well. And when women are done, you know, someone else can say, OK, I can point to that. And not not negating the fact that it's a really, really difficult environment, but say, knowing that, you know, representation is one of our ways that we can address this. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on on this again as well. Um, one of the issues I, I look at when I when I when we're considering issues, uh, considering access to capital and resources, it could also be access to information. Uh, because, yes. I mean, to, to your point around the All On project, it's possible that these women don't even know the platforms, you know, they, they need to go check them up. And that's where uh, there's also the need around capacity in the area of digital understanding and technology and and you know and these other things so they they, they should be in some way um uh, ingrained or embedded into the whole conversation around uh, the the philanthropy the social impact um and 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 how can make it a lot more not just uh uh, sustainable, but also very critical uh, in, in driving economic growth as well, because we cannot, I mean, what technology does really is to, to, to trigger and energize different sectors, including this one that we're talking about. Um, something else, I think we shared that before we started the uh, conversation. Um, we have noticed that there's some inherent tension between uh, making profits or maximizing profit objectives and social impact mandates and and so sometimes you know this this whole confusion you know becomes uh very confusing for um uh, it becomes very challenging for, for for a lot of people um how can policymakers really consider uh incentivizing corporate accountability and ethical responsibility within the private sector you know while safeguarding against you know people just uh, throwing in some uh you know ad hoc csr initiatives or some someone called greenwashing and tokenistic a bit of a yeah. very double barrel language but yeah but, but that's the the reality how can we guard against this while um helping to really carry out this without necessarily stifling genuine societal contribution so you know and and, and this is where um in american business council for instance we have over 80 uh, U.S. companies are members of this council, and a couple of them are very keen to see how we can uh, kind of streamline setting or can have a project like that's like an American Business Council project uh, that can, you know, drive uh, the space that we're talking about now, the MSME space and, and, and economic growth, a very intentional way to, to get that done. But sometimes they, they get Put off by you know the the, the 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 lack of accountability and ethical responsibility around some of these and you know we don't want to we don't want to bore ourselves with all the things that happened you know uh, in recent times right so how do we how do we um, ensure that this happens you know, uh, without necessarily um, you know, overflogging the, the 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 whole issue around um, the tension between uh, maximizing uh, profit objectives and uh, and social social uh, impact mandates. So so you see, you're asking extremely important questions uh, about ecosystem shaping, right? And what has happened in Nigeria is that the practice has run way ahead of the government. You know, you and I can point to doing this work for decades. It's almost like the government is just waking up. 
to the idea of how to, and when I say the government, I'm not talking about political parties, because if we get bogged down in that, you know, even if parties come and go with, you know, the framework of the government is not, mm -hmm. had, for a long time, has not been, um, has been way behind the speed of, of, of the impact investing on the philanthropic sector. Um, so, for example, there are no incentives for it. There's no particular registration for philanthropic organizations in Nigeria like you have. You talked about the U.S., you know, in the U.S. you have the 501c3 and everybody who's registered on that, that not only do you get a different type of tax bracket, but you also know mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you also know that, OK, there are certain types of reporting you have to do. Right, mm -hmm. which which will take care of your point around tokenism, and you know a lot of people are doing CSR for brand purposes, right? And mm -hmm. what whilst that's not it's not evil. These are businesses, obviously. So branding is critical to them. I think if you have the framework around, uh, if this is why I said earlier about government creating the enabling environment. If government created the enabling environment through um, regulation. Uh, so there, there are regulatory mechanisms that, okay, if you're involved in this, you have to report in this way. These are the standards. If you don't do this over time, you'll be closed. You will see a change in people's activities, you know. And I feel like, you know, this can happen. You know, this this will happen. Uh, it's just slow. Uh, and what, what the good thing is about when the government is now ready to put the standards in place. There'll be a lot of practice to learn from so many people. You know, there was a time when, you know, 10 years, 12 years ago, you know, I was I was the first um, CEO of TY Danjuma Foundation and you could literally throw a stone and not hit any foundation in the whole country aside <laughs> from, uh, yes, aside from TY Danjuma Foundation, Tony Lumelu Foundation, uh, Faith mm -hmm. Foundation. Dangote Foundation. I mean, in a country like Nigeria, imagine that I can call them on one hand. Now, everywhere I turn to, there's a foundation. So you can see that, the, you know, and, and so when you're talking about regulatory change and regulatory uh, organizing, there has to be a sector to organize. We didn't have a sector before. We have to be honest. We didn't have a sector before. We had a few high-level players. And when you have a few high-level players doing anything, it creates um, a misconception. So, for example, it, start, it's, it seemed to be look like, oh, well, this whole thing around philanthropy is only for the Nigerian billionaires. And that was a misconception. That was a misconception and it was a very dangerous one. It was a really, really I dangerous one. Because other people who wanted to do good would, would feel like, well, you know, I can't play at that level. I'm not going to get involved. But it, it, a lot has changed now and a lot more can change because now you're having companies themselves say, you know what, we don't just want to do CSR. We want to do structured, um, you know, either impact investing or philanthropy. And so you, you can see a number of banks have foundations, a number of, um, you know, institutions are looking at impact investing as a framework. It's a whole different environment. And so this is the time to talk about ecosystem organizing. And that is why I feel like it's a moment that all of us who have been working in this sector have to inform and, you know, kind of guide how the MPO works, because this is when we can start to talk about those regulatory frameworks and incentives for people who are involved in philanthropy. And when we now have results, be able to talk about legislation. You can't talk about all those things without some type of ecosystem organizing. And, you know, for the last few years, I've been on the National Advisory Board of Impact Investing, uh, which was set up by the Impact Investors Foundation and Ford Foundation and a few other players. And what we've seen is that there are so many players, there are intermediaries, there are funds, there are, there are different actors, but there's no organizing of, of, of the ecosystem. I mean, there's the organizing of the ecosystem is the wild, wild west. Everybody behaves how they like you know, this person comes in, goes out, you know, that can't be. So you are absolutely right that that is the core role for how a government can kind of create a semblance of organizing and semblance of, of accountability. Um, because when you have, a lot of Nigerian companies are now involved in the ISO reporting and things like that. 
Yes, mm -hmm. yes, the, the, you know, we have all of, all those type of um, gene and at the global level has put reporting frameworks for impact investing. All those type of things can can be codified and put in some type of framework that, OK, if you're going to set up something as you're doing your taxes, you also need to report on on how you have, you know, you have been responsible when it comes to environmental standards and things like that. Some companies will tell you. Oh, we now do ESG, you know, another thing that can just be a box ticking exercise, right? But how does the government come in and ensure that everybody's held to the same standard? I think that's an ongoing conversation. Fantastic. You know, I'm running on the thread of um, the, the what you talked about uh, around the global practices and looking at this from a point of view of, um, you know, putting together and evolving uh, transnational governance structures. Uh, in, a, in in an area that is of great um, importance to us, and that's the continent. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we know that already we have we have this one large market, one large country continent type thing through the EFCFTA. Um, how is your office working with the EFCFTA to drive synergies in the area uh, of um, you know putting together some levels of governance structure? Um, across across Africa. So, uh, as you know, full disclosure, I'm literally uh, two weeks on the job, <laughs> and so so first, and that's so that's the point one. Point two, we don't have a choice; we have to work with after. And if for me, it's it, I'm also very, um, you know, my I'm very Pan African in everything I've done because I've literally lived in so many countries that you know. I said to someone the other day, you know, I can. If I, there are 22 countries that if I go, I have a bed for the night and I'm not talking about a hotel, right? So that's my worldview that we have to do this. However, the, the, just, we've just talked about infrastructure to do things. The after is just getting its act together. You know, they're, there's, there's, they're looking at things around common payments, um, platforms, very, very critical. I think if all those things are set up, it makes it easier. I'm going to be engaging them, obviously talking about how, I'm sure there are ways we can work together that may not be very visible right now. One of the things that I want to do very much is share the experience that we're learning in Nigeria with other African countries. I say to people, especially entrepreneurs that I engage, I say, you know what? Every entrepreneur wants to sell in the UK, wants to sell in America. That's not bad. But do you realize that in Nigeria, we are so strategically positioned that even if you said you would sell in Republic of Benin, um, you know, Togo and Ghana, you, you can make all your money, right? But the borders are very dangerous. It's, it's difficult to, especially when you have, um, when you have uh, currencies, different currencies and the Francophone countries are operating on a different currency framework, uh, then it's easier for Nigeria to trade with Ghana, for example. So those things need to be, you know, they are very, very important, nuanced issues, right? That will make it easier to, for example, because I'm talking about MSMEs, I'm talking business, uh, right? To make it easier to trade. What has been much uh, organic and uh, at the convenings, the consultations, the, the understanding, look at what Kenya did, removing visas, those things can happen. Very, very, very important, right? But for, for the business community, if we don't, if we don't sort out payment issues, taxation issues, um, which I know they are doing, uh, it will take a while to talk about how we can tangibly uh, collaborate. At the moment, it's more at the level of exchanging of ideas, and I've been part of some of those forums uh, today. But in this role, I'm actively going to be involved in it because I'm going to be looking at what types of things can we do to encourage, um, you know, institutionalizing um, government support or intergovernmental support for philanthropy. First in ECOWAS, before I even talk about AFTA, because in ECOWAS, Nigeria plays such an influential role. And I think the examples that we can start to give to that body, because if there's a law that says, you know, if, if um, or not even a law, if there's a practice that says, you know, um, 
every government in ECOWAS should look at how they support um, social impact or philanthropic issues. I mean, that will just change the environment immediately. On our own, while the heads of states are missing, meeting, we can be having a side event to talk about how we collaborate. It's those type of things that can happen first before we now talk about regulation, because all of us know regulation takes a really long time. Yeah, I think the, the baby steps, I won't even call this, maybe I'll call it the adolescent steps can work, you know, in this whole bit around driving uh, um, governance and, and the synergies across across um, the continent. I, as you were speaking a lot of things and it happens all the time, we're just kind of bubbling. <laughs> One of them is, you know, how can we really, as American Business Council, collaborate with, um, with, the um the organization that we currently have uh, this beautiful project around uh, around the philanthropy that we already have here off the office um and you know one of the areas i i looked at is that we we have a sustainability committee and one of the focus of that committee is a uh, clean energy so perhaps as we move move um, into the, uh, that outside of this we'll probably I'm sure there are lots of things we can we can think through around collaboration and work that can be done um, from a private sector perspective uh, to to um, not use the word. I, I try to avoid the word support. Uh, I'll tell you a story <laughs> after, after, after this. <laughs> collaborate, collaborate with with the with your office or the at least be the chair of that office um, to 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 drive that. So. Um, it, there are different U.S. companies that are doing great things in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the, the 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 area of social impact. Uh, but we, we to see how we can have maybe like a cohesive front that can engage and work together uh, to uh, meet some of the uh, the goals that you have set up, even if they are just um, some short to mid midterm goals. And they kind yes. of weave a strategy eventually around, uh, you know, how we can work. But again, uh, these are just, um, you know, initial thoughts. Uh, last word, because I see that uh, someone is already giving us signs that we are running against time. Um, but I need is, to respond to your offer to collaborate. Yes, Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, don't definitely, no, definitely. So <laughs> I, I want you to 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 say to to give some response, and then maybe if there's some other information because this is new, this is great, um, and you know any other thing you feel would be of value to um, the audience out there, I would I would really like it that you share share that. Um, so first of all, I was going to thank you at the end, but I'm, I'm going to thank you now first because, <laughs> okay. uh, um, you know, you you did something, and this is what I always say about you can just tell people's worldview. You know, you you heard about the office, and you immediately just invited me to talk about it. That's exactly how we have to do things in Nigeria because I can't do this alone. I'm very clear. Uh, whilst we can, and so there are a lot of people that have vast experience that I don't have, that if we joined hands, we would do a lot more. And so you're inviting me to even just have this platform and I'm very comfortable with you. So I'm able to just tell you things and tell you how this has gone. Uh, and you've even challenged me in terms of, you, you, you know, one or two ideas have come to me now, things we have to clarify about the office, you know. Um, so th this is exactly what we need to do first because a challenge, you said something that, and, and, and it's one of my takeaways that for the all on projects, maybe a lot of women did not know about it. I don't want that to be the case with this as well. You know, many times, and, and when I traveled Nigeria, so when I'd go to places like Taraba, you know, places like, you know, I'll, I'll be in Benue, I'll go to, I, I went to um, Jigawa, and people find those of us who work in Lagos extremely elitist extremely unapproachable and and so that i said i in one i did a bit of writing a while ago i can't remember the article but i talked about the two nigerias how there's a nigeria that's lagos centric port harcourt centric abuja centric <laughs> and then there's the other nigeria right so when you talk <laughs> about her you know <laughs> when you talk about having the nigeria philanthropic office there's almost an instantaneous responsibility to ensure that we decentralize this a lot 
and we uh, we, we sure. make we make sure that we're not talking to the echo chamber. Um, and so, you know, I'm very keen. I'm so happy that you made that overture and uh, because we're very keen to work with partners who can help us do that. You know, even if I hired 300 people today, I still could not cover the whole of Nigeria. So we're looking at people who have, you know, comparative influences, comparative access that we can we can work together and then make more traction. And I will be inviting the American Business Council to a number of the events we're having so that you can you can meet more of us and also uh, hopefully we can we can we can talk about how we can have something concrete to work on together. Thank you so much. And uh, obviously like I said we um I will just connect with you um and, and and see how how best we can um drive this forward to make the impact and not uh, you know I I don't like one offs I, I think that's why I like sustainable um you know projects and the whole space of social impact I don't like I mean donations are great but you know they are, I always say they are not sustainable so things that you're able to kind of breathe life into and you see them grow almost like you know uh, uh, giving birth to a child and watching the child grow I, I you know it, it kind of resonates with me and I'm sure resonates with a lot of people who are very passionate you know in this space like you are and so I, I would really like to thank you again for um, for joining us today and also to our listening audience that they should continue to follow us on all the social media platforms um, on our SoundCloud on um, on our LinkedIn uh, page where we're going to amplify uh, this uh, podcast that uh, uh, we we usually have and this you know this really special first podcast of the um, year 2024 so Thank you so much, Elma. It's, it's, it's been a very engaging and exciting conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to your right. team. And I look forward to working together. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great Thank day. You.